0: I think I'm having an art attack. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Art Attack. I'm your host, Justin Bua, artist, and I'm here with Lizzie Dastin, art historian. She's got a lot of degrees. I won't talk about too many of them. And today we're going to talk about, uh, we're, we're really just shotgunning some crazy stuff right now, but we're going to talk about Impressionism uh, because Impressionism has influenced all of our lives, all of our lives, whether you're an artist, whether you're a construction worker, whether you're a poet, whether you are a contemporary artist who eschews the reality that impressionism influences your life. It does, <laughs> it does, it does. Everybody, we see the world through a different lens because impressionism exists. Do you agree with me, or do you disagree with me? I
1: completely agree. I think. Okay, impression- that's all I want to know. Thank you for <laughs> episode the episode, over.
0: ladies and gentlemen. This was Art Attack. Have a great day! yay yeah. Okay.
1: No, really, impressioni- impressionism changed the game, and it's funny because. Whenever I start a class, I always ask my students what form of art they like the best. And I would say eight out of 10 of them say Impressionism, (laughs) and it's because it is seemingly easy. We look at a haystack by Monet, and we marvel at the beautiful colors, and the pastels, and the dappled light, and we see it as accessible. And what I find so entertaining about that is that Impressionism was a visual revolt. It really was. They were, to me, the first real renegade artists. They were like the street artists, the graffiti writers of the day who Ooh, were bucking like the that. system. Yeah, they really were. And I think it's important to remind ourselves of that story and also to visually explain what impressionism means and the ways in which it was different from the norm.
0: Okay, so let's get into that. Yeah, because let's I do know it. for so once upon a time, art, uh, when artists gained skill sets, uh, the, the main goal in art was to be able to capture life as it was, to interpret life as realistically, as classically, as seemingly possible. You talk about artists like Bouguereau. You talk about like artists like Jerome. These artists were interpreting life like painting it like photographs before there were photographs, right? So we're living in a world and a time of art history before the Impressionists where people were really just trying to examine and interpret life.
1: Well, I agree with some of what you said. They were not actually painting life as it was. That was the problem. The Impressionists were the ones who painted life as it actually was. The artists who were coming out of the salon out of this academic system, they were painting from a one point frozen perspective. And that is not Actually, how life is because our eye is constantly darting around. Things are in motion. We see things from different vantage points. But if you look at a Bouguereau or a Jerome, you see it from this frozen static. It's actually
0: Bouguereau. I talked (laughs) at a long conversation with a French guy the other day and I just wanted to make sure. What? And he was like, Bouguereau? No, of course it's Bouguereau. Yeah. Bouguereau? No, No, it's Bouguereau.
1: Bouguereau. Yeah, from
0: a vachement français. All right. He m'a dit, Bouguereau, donc c'est bouguereau alors.
1: I stand corrected. Yeah. So from a, a bouguereau, <laughs> it just sounds weird to say. I know, it sounds like booger, <laughs> it that's <does>. why. <laughs> it's right.
0: No matter how how heady and uh, academic-y this podcast is, <laughs> you're just still thinking booger, you know what I mean?
1: I <laughs> am, which is so embarrassing. Every time you say bouguereau, I'm like, oh God, booger. But anyway, so that artist, the B word, he would paint themes that are often culled from mythology. And that was really what the Salon was teaching. You paint the Bible, you paint mythological subjects, and there was a hierarchy of genres. And this is really important. So the most skilled painters, the greatest works that they could accomplish, they were all history scenes. And history was not contemporary history, but it was mythological or religious. And then we go down accordingly. So there's a portrait, and then landscape, and then still lifes, and then genre. And so there is a ranking of importance. And that's something that the Impressionists were completely fighting against. They thought, we're not going to systematize art like this. We want to paint life as it's unfolding, as it's happening. And we are creating these significant canvases, but we're not going to paint Cupid and an arrow puncture because how is that relevant to our everyday lives so i think that is the first really important shift that's going on in the late 1800s
0: okay so but what i think that i was saying and i think that you were misinterpreting what i was saying respectfully is that art up until that point from a technical point of view was like interpretation i'm not yes definitely subject matter People were deriving from, you know, interpreting Dante's Inferno and, you know, all these, the Odyssey, the Iliad, and the Bible. But what I'm saying is that the Impressionists came along and said, this is just an impression. That's literally what it was. It was a painting impression so that you had the vitality of the moment. You were able to feel the moment, that moment of light hitting the haystack splashing the cast shadow across the grass that was that was what the impressionists were doing they were doing an impression of time and space so and they were doing it in a way where they were playing with color for the first time. You know, you look at Monet, you see the warm light cast cool shadows. Well, he's taking that to an extreme. He's taking these really, really saturated oranges and having this very, very pure blue from the sky reflecting in those cast shadows. So you see the rim of the cast shadows with the purity of blue because that's where there's the most pure color, right? Is right at the edge of those cast shadows where it's casting and then it's hitting the actual landscape. And then you're seeing the orange playing and dancing in really fun interpretive ways.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I think what you're discussing is that the artists were freed from, they were really liberated from pictorial verisimilitude, which is exactly right. And there are a bunch of different reasons as to why. So one is because they are fighting against this salon system of what art is, which is just very literal. We know that snow is white. And so we paint the snow white. And people like Monet, the haystacks that you mentioned in snow, they are actually perceiving. They're not painting logically. They're painting from experience. And as all of you hopefully know, when you look at snow and it's a really bright day, it doesn't read as white, it reads as blue. And so he's painting the snow blue because of that optical experience. So they are freeing themselves from the literality of color, and it's because they're outside. They're painting not in their studios, mm-hmm. but they're painting all plein air, which means outside. Mm-hmm. And they would literally take their canvases and take their... Easels. Easels. Yep. <laughs> I'm miming easel. And they're bringing it outside and they're going to various outdoor parties and mm-hmm. they are looking at things and they're painting as light is actually dancing upon the surfaces of the objects. And so that is why we have such energy, such motion. And other reasons why they're able to do this at the time that they're working is because photography was recently invented. Mm-hmm. And I think the aesthetic of photography, which is really the aesthetic of the salon because it is completely literal, it's typically a one-point perspective, that encouraged painters to do something else because for the first time, we didn't need an artist to paint from the veracity of, of our expectation as a viewer. They can really interpret the world in the way that they see it. So photography was incredibly important because of that. Also because of the unique angles that a photographer is able to achieve with the mobility of a camera. So you can take a worm's eye view, bird's eye view, and that opened up a compositional space for the impressionists. And then finally, the woodblock prints that were happening in Japan and being traded to Europe, specifically France. So artists finally had access to this non-Western aesthetic, the ukiyo-e prints that were being made in Japan by people like Hokusai, and they were able to see the importance of flatness. So we get angles from photography, flatness from Japanese prints, a reduction of style and a An observational approach to color from seeing the world uh, outdoors. So there's a lot going on.
0: There's a lot going on, and like you said. And by the way, thank you for clarifying what I said because you put it into focus. It's a complicated movement. You know, impressionism is not uh, is not easy, and there's a lot of important players that still resonate today with contemporary artists in terms of people, you know, referencing them, and just even in my studio. If you look all around me, I've got. You know, I've got Degas, I've got Van Gogh, I've got Monet, I've got Manet, who to me is so good. You know, Manet, oh God, you know, Manet, Manet just hits me. Manet, who was the, the elder of Monet, and Monet looked up to Manet. And, you know, there's all these dynamics within Impressionism as well. But it really started in 1860s where four young painters, Monet, Renoir, the one that I hate the most, Renoir, <laughs> Uh, sis, I hate him
1: the most, too.
0: <laughs> you do? Yeah, I do. It's, it's so foofy. And, and some of Renoir's paintings are really good.
1: Moulin de la Galette is yes, stunning. We should stunning. talk about that painting. Actually, let's go through each one and talk but, about a But let a me talk works. about the other
0: artists who kind of got together, and they were young, and they were studying. And those four guys, much like the Beatles in rock and roll, took it to another level. It was Monet, Pierre-Auguste Renoir, Cicely, and Frédéric Basile. And they all met while studying under the academic artist Charles Glieré, G-L-E-Y-R-E, Glieré, something like that. Quelque chose comme ça. Je exactement. Right, exactly. <laughs> so so when they met, and and there's, think about all the players in the game. We're talking about Edgar Degas. We're talking about Vincent van Gogh. Right?
1: Mary Cassatt Mary and berthe Morisot.
0: Pissarro, the Jew. The, Pissarro was a Jew who was the... Grandfather, the intellectual, the writer, the academic of the movement. So, you see, in these movements like this, guys, it's really important to note that, like, you got your key players, you got your key draftsmen. You know, you got a guy like Edgar Degas, who studied with Jean Dominique Ang, right? And he's coming from this academic world, right? You got these guys who are like the home run hitters, the guys who are like, Absolute, sheer, phenomenal draftsman. And then you got a guy like Pissarro, who's not the greatest draftsman, not the greatest painter. He's very good. He's very good, but he's not the greatest, but he's the academic. He's the guy who's like I'm going to write about this movement, guys. I'm going to be the figurehead. I'm the Jewish guy here, so let me be the, you know, let me do the let me do the studying, you know what I mean? Like I'm the I'm that guy. So I'm the guy who's going to write about it. Then you got your you got your Van Gogh, so you got your crazy guy. Well, he's guy. not
1: an impressionist. He's a post-impressionist. Yeah, he's a
0: post-impressionist. But I, you know, people think about him as an impressionist. Am I wrong? Van yes. Gogh. <laughs> yeah. Because everybody's wrong, you're saying.
1: No, he worked later than The Impressionist. His style really takes incredible points of departure from The Impressionist because he invests emotions mm-hmm. to the work that the guys that you're talking about and the women, Berthe Morisot and Mary Cassatt, that they're not really interested in. For them, it was more of a visual exercise mm-hmm. in actually recording life as it unfolded in real time. Yeah. And then Van Gogh, Van Gogh, he took that visual inquiry and then he invested it with more emotionalism so he is different from the impressionist for that reason
0: okay so you but the, my point being is that you had all of these key people and in order to have a cohesive movement you need that you need your guy who's like oh my god this guy's so good it's scary like the Degas and then you got your guy like oh my god thank god someone could Actually, document what's happening like a Pissarro because otherwise, you know what I mean? We're gonna have to deal with these critics and they're gonna like smear us, which they did because Impressionism, believe it or not, it's the most like beloved movement now in all the galleries and museums in the world. But at one time, it was considered very subversive.
1: Right, it was. So these guys were rejected from the mainstream salon. At the salon, there was a jury of artists and critics, and they would decide who was anointed and who was not. And they decided, since the aesthetic of Impressionism was so different from all of the work that they were promoting, that they were not allowed in the show. And so these artists, they decided that they were going to create their own show. So they built their own little exhibition space. Actually, I believe they showed in the studio of French photographer Nadar. So that's another little story of a point of intersection between photography and impressionism. And they hosted their own pop-up show. And they decided that they didn't need the accolades of the Academy. So they showed, and critics came, and as a word of derision, they said, ugh, it's not a painting, it's an impression. Mm. And these artists, they thought, yeah, it is. We're going to reappropriate that term that was meant as a negative, and we're going to spin it to our advantage. But I
0: think Monet called one of his paintings Impression. Impression Sunrise. Impression Sunrise, right. And that's where they got the name from.
1: Yes, but they meant it as a negative. Right. It was seen as a criticism, and then it was turned into this cohesive term.
0: And now, flash forward, not that we're not going to go back, but flash forward now, just think about the irony, right? (laughs) We're talking about a time now where Impressionism is so mainstream. It's like every artist in, in... all of the malls across America, people are doing this Impressionist painting. You know, you got, and then you got guys like Thomas Kincaid, who's Impressionistic too. He's he's, he's quote unquote, the painter of light, and basically is doing all of these watered down versions of Impressionism. And it's so mainstream. But once upon a time, you've got this subversive movement where they're circumventing the preconceived gallery world and throwing their own pop-up show. And it's like, You know, it's insane. People are like, these guys are, these guys are renegades. They're rebels. They're artistic rebels.
1: A hundred percent. And it's so fascinating to me that now the way that we look at their work is just so off the mark of the way that it was intended. And it just illustrates to me this cycle in art that the margins become the mainstream, And this happens over and over and over. And I can't wait to see how street art and the contemporary graffiti world, how eventually that's going to be subsumed by the mainstream too, because it happened before. It happened to the impressionists. This is just the cycle of a lifeline of art.
0: It's rock and roll. You know what I mean? It's heavy metal. It's, you know, dubstep. And at some point... It gets integrated into mainstream culture and acceptable. And so the younger generation comes along and goes, Oh, yeah, that no, that's old people stuff. Right. But that's what happens. You know what I mean? Like I was cool and now my daughter's like, you're not cool anymore. So and then, you know, and then she'll be a parent one day and her daughter will be like, You're not cool anymore. And that's just, <laughs> but that's what happens with movements. You know what I mean? So to me, impressionism to this day, like when I'm doing a painting and working on a painting, I will I when I, and especially when I'm dealing with color, I'm gonna open up. A Monet book, and I want to get inspired. You know, I want to see because I feel like that's the first time when you're seeing color keys, uh, like when you see Monet. And we, and we keep going back to this because it's a really good visual point of reference. Is Monet, Monet's uh, haystacks? You see Monet goes to the same haystacks at nighttime and paints them at night. He goes to the haystacks daytime. He goes to the haystacks when it's atmospherically cloudy and paints them. He goes to the haystacks when they're backlit by the sun, so they're silhouetted. He goes to the haystacks when it's cold out, and there's snow on them. He goes to the haystacks. And no other artist has done that, Okay, Like, you see Jericho's Raft of Medusa, and you see the color keys he does. He's doing one color way. He's doing this is the time of day. It's very stage lit, right? It's it's only, only one color way, for the most part. But Monet's coming there and saying no. We're gonna do. We're gonna do a, a various amount of temperatures, a various amount of time of days, you know, all kinds of all kinds of uh, conditions that the sun is going to bring this painting into, and he's going to experience them. So that alone was groundbreaking. That all of these artists were able to do all these interpretations of the same scenes in terms of temperatures you know, climates and atmosphere. It was phenomenal. It was a real big breakthrough.
1: Well, Monet is best known for that concept of seriality. And his
0: beard. He was known for his beard. huge beard. What What a beautiful, white, billowing, pillowy beard.
1: (laughs) Sometimes blue, if looked at. Uh, in the snow on a very, That's true. There you go. <laughs> a very bright day. <laughs> but Monet, because I think that it's important also to distinguish the artists because you talk about them as a team, a team who's exhibiting together as they did, but their styles are also really different from one another. And Monet, I think of him as being the guy who's really invested in the seriality of his objects. So he returns again and again to these haystacks in various times of day, various atmospheric conditions. He also is very well known for his cereal of water lilies. And those were painted at the end of his life at Giverny. He decided that he was no longer interested in the urban industrial Paris. And the Industrial Revolution is also a key player at this time because it is changing the way of the city. And Monet was just steeped in that ingratiated in industry, and decided that he wanted a retreat. So he had his house in Giverny, really lovely place. You can still visit it today and see the water lilies and the ponds and the bridges that inspired him. And it's funny because historians will talk about his loosening style and how Monet is getting increasingly abstract. And when how we know
0: he's getting blind. Exactly. <laughs> That's why it's so funny
1: because who knows if he knew that he was loosening his touch. Yeah. But yeah, so I think of him as the guy who's really invested in the serial. I think of Renoir also as maybe the least talented or the least innovative of the Impressionists. But Renoir, he does a lot of interesting cafe scenes. So we talked about Moulin de la Galette, and that's a painting that's worth looking at because typically in art, a painting is gonna have one cohesive narrative. We can read the scene in Raft of the Medusa that you mentioned, there is a really dramatic uh, events going on. There was a shipwreck and all of these people are trying to survive, and there's epic drama, sweeping storms, and the landscape and the, the violence of the sea really all adds to this atmosphere of distress. But in Moulin de la Galette, we have tons of little vignettes. We have couples flirting with each other, people drinking, people eating, the dappled light, the color. And so it's really more about just being comfortable in a bourgeois outing. And you're just enjoying life. It's about pleasure. It really introduces this theme. So his cafe scenes are interesting to me. And then toward the end of his life, he focuses primarily on Bathers and the bathers, I do not think are very interesting, but
0: you know, for Renoir, it's a simple like it, it's people love him, by the way. And that's what's funny is like we're talking about him in the not most positive light. But for the most part, a lot of people do equate impressionism with Renoir, and it's because of his colors. I mean, he's very colorful and it's very lovely. You know, I guess the word lovely, it's very, you know, the, the rosy cheeks, the red lips of the women, and it's just a little uh, saccharine for me. In general, Renoir, and and I think you know when I look at Im- impressionism, I lean towards the artists that are that are really powerful, like you know Manet, and was Manet technically an impressionist? Because I know he was Monet's greatest influence.
1: Sure, he's a proto-impressionist, so he really. Exists what does that What does
0: that mean? You mean pre
1: proto before? Yeah. Okay, so yeah. he's a transitional figure between realism okay. of people in the eighteen fifties, like Corbet. Domier. Right, sure. And then the Impressionists, and their first show was in 1874. So he he's the 60s. So we have the 1850s of the realists, 1870s of the Impressionists, and he happens in that transitional moment in between the two. He painted something incredibly controversial, Manet's Olympia from 1863 that we talked about. And the reason why I think you identify him with the Impressionists is because he's not painting mythological subjects. He's painting real people, and that's what got him into trouble. When he's painting a concubine and the bottoms of her feet are dirty.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that was uh, an issue. Lunch and <laughs> le dejeuner.
1: Totally, where the women are naked. Although yeah. that one is interesting because it's kind of mythological, kind of contemporary. Mm. And so, again, he's not really firmly planted in. One movement.
0: He did a painting that's at the Louvre, Manet. It's actually one of my favorite paintings, I, and it's one of my favorite paintings. But I don't know the name. It's the old man with a beard. Uh, he's like a homeless dude, like in in raggedy pants. Do you know that one? God damn, that one is so beautiful. Like his his mastery, his draftsman mastery and looseness of painting. And he painted his scale was
1: huge.
0: So I, I consider. Manet to be a just a powerhouse. And then you look at like George Seurat. I mean, was Seurat g- considered an impressionist as Post-impressionist as well. Impressionist post impressionist. As well. Okay. So the
1: major post-impressionists were Seurat, Signac, Cezanne, Van Gogh, and Gauguin. And all of those five artists, they used certain visual elements of impressionism, but also did their own things. So Seurat and Signac, they were really interested in color theory, and optical illusions. They're the guys who did the little dots called pointillism. So instead of painting purple, they would paint a little circle of red next to a little circle of blue, and then the eye would do the work for them. So I think that's kind of cool because it's participatory. You need the optics of your own eye in order to translate in the way that they were hoping.
0: Now, the proto-impressionist painter Manet, I was referring to the painting, and everybody, I want you... All to look at. It, it's so beautiful. It's called the Ragman, and it's at the Lockma. And I, I like. I just can't believe uh, the level of these guys' talent. Sometimes, when you go back in time and and you really re look at all these guys, they're they're just they're not only fantastic painters. Uh, I think because they had so much time to get good at it, they didn't have Instagram, so it was a different, <laughs> you know, or Netflix. To be honest, could you imagine how how shitty Monet would be if he was watching Netflix all the time? And he's like, you know, I could go out and do a landscape painting right now of the water lilies. You know, I could do a water lily scene right now, like a plein air painting, or I could just be like chilling at home and Netflix and chill <laughs> with my wife. And I feel like that, and then, but that's changed the course of that. But when we look at these artists. Uh, I think that this is, this. you could talk about impressionism for days, for days upon days upon days, because it's such an important movement and it influences every artist that came thereafter. It's just impossible not to be influenced by them. I mean, you could look at my work and be like, I don't see any influence of impressionism in your work, but there is, you know what I mean? Because nobody read light like that. It became its own language, and you know Caravaggio interpreted light in a way that was very dramatic and very theatrical, full of chiaroscuro, but and sfumato. But the reality is, the impressionists came along, and just they just showed you light. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. John Singer Sargent, he was an he was a post-impressionist as well. Then right?
1: He was. Uh, he's difficult to really linked to a group. He's an expatriate artist. He's working around the same time. I would never call him an American impressionist just because his style is a lot tighter, a lot more analytic than the impressionists, but sure, they're they're all influencing each other and really quickly you mentioned two very important art history terms and I just want to explain what they are. Sure. So you said chiaroscuro, mm-hmm. which really represents the interplay between light and dark. Mm-hmm. And Caravaggio, he did it in very dramatic ways. Often if you see a religious painting and there's a huge beam of light, that's meant to represent some kind of godly presence. And then sfumato, da Vinci, is a master of sfumato, and it's basically a smudge to to smudge, yeah, I think that's... Atmosphere,
0: a, edges. Yeah. It's a lot to deal with atmosphere and edges to show, to give the illusion of space, through edge and atmosphere, and sfumato was uh, definitely uh, Leonardo was definitely a master of sfumato, but so was Caravaggio, and so was Rembrandt. I mean, these those three those three guys were like you know giants of understanding chiaroscuro and sfumato, which are two techniques that are very important in any painter's arsenal. If you want to, if you want a weapon, you know, if you're going to be a painter, a painter, painter. Uh, you got to have those in your your back pocket.
1: You're right. But then you're also right to say that the Impressionists kind of changed the arsenal because now they're seeing color in patches. Mm -hmm. And when you look at an Impressionist work, you can see the flick of the wrist of the artist in these little agitated staccato moves or longer ones, more fluid gestures. And you don't get that in... A painting by Booger (laughs) because it's so controlled and it's so precise that you don't see the energy of the scene or the impression, the manifestation of the artist on that scene. And that's really what I like about looking at these paintings is that it feels intimate.
0: Yeah. And you get the color. You're not like, this is the first time that we're seeing the pure color like we are. Like I said, you know, warm light cast cool shadows, cool light cast warm shadows. They're playing with these laws, these light logic laws, these color laws, and the physics of that, and they're really pushing it to the extreme. So it's the first time that we're seeing such colorful paintings in art history. You know, and then later on you got artists like Dan McCaw and John Uh, John Sorrow and all these other artists who today are playing with that same concept, but pushing it even further than the impressionists were, you know, so these these guys were changing the landscape and laying the bricks for future artists to come.
1: Very significant artists, like the ones that we discussed, Cézanne, he changed the face of modernism completely. And Van Gogh and Gauguin, all of these people who saw impressionism as a launching off point. Gauguin,
0: though, I mean, did you really, what's really your feeling about Gauguin? Do you like Gauguin? I just feel like we, it's got to take a,
1: there's some, there's some deforming ethnocentrism in Gauguin's work for sure. He was also probably a child molester, but do I see the spiritual infusion of his time in Breton in his work? Yeah. I think that there, there is a spirituality and a mysticism to the work of Gauguin that is significant.
0: I'm not a fan of his work. I It's appreci- very, yeah.
1: It no, I mean, fun. I like the flatness that that interest in outline, in a contour line, in maybe less focus on moving from foreground to background and starting to shift from bottom to top. I see that as all really key characteristics of modernism, the modernism that would come. So for that reason, I see him as important, but I know that we should wrap this up. So I just wanted to outline a couple other impressionist artists that you guys should know one, of course, being our favorite anti-Semite but very talented painter and draftsman duga He, unlike his contemporaries, mostly worked in the studio, and he does a lot of interior scenes. I'm sure you're familiar with his Ballerina series. Also, he loved doing racehorses, and even though that was an, in an exterior environment, he would typically paint them or sketch them in his studio. And Degas, I really think better than any of the other Impressionists, he integrated the language of photography. And so often in his work, you'll see these incredibly oblique angles. The subject is rarely in the center of the frame, and that comes both from photography, but also these ukiyo prints where mm-hmm. the composition is divided in two. Often all of the information is going to be localized to one quadrant, so either in the bottom diagonal or the top. And Degas is synthesizing these outside influences in his work.
0: Yeah, Degas is a absolute tremendous draftsman, and you could see his work is very very reminiscent of his teacher, Jean-Dominique Ang, And Ang's teacher, of course, is, is Jacques-Louis David. And the lineage is very deep with Degas. And you could see that he was one of those prodigies who became very attracted to Impressionism and started, uh, you know, just also very influenced by, like you said, photography. And he changed the game. Uh, Degas is a very, very bizarre artist because he was also very facile in pastel. And later in his life... You see his bathers and some of his works in pastels are just absolutely beautiful. You had the opportunity to see them at the Musée de Dorsey in Paris, but now the pastel collection has been taken down. I just went to the Orsay in Paris for that reason, to see the pastel collection, but it is now not being there anymore because the pastels, especially... Uh, uh, the works of Degas and, and all those wonderful pastel artists were taken down because it was seen in dim light, but they were fading anyway. Mm. So they're figuring out what to do with it. So if you don't have the opportunity to see a, a Degas pastel, try to find one somewhere. And really check out Impressionism in general. If you don't know anything about it, look up some of these artists. Cicely, Pissarro, Degas. Uh,
1: Berth, Morisot. Morisot. A woman and Mary Cassatt, Mm. another American expatriate, Mm -hmm. they're really fascinating and multivalent and subversive. And I think that from contemporary eyes, their work reads one way and it is easy to digest, but I encourage you guys to put yourselves in the mindset of somebody looking at the work from the vantage point of someone in the 1880s, when all of these new concepts were brewing and when the style of art was radically different. And I guarantee that your idea, your impression of them will shift.
0: Yes. Very bizarre to think that this was a revolutionary art form that was changing the game back then, but it really was. So guys, research some of this and have the best day ever. Peace. (laughs)